Uh, welcome to Halal Money Matters. I'm Christopher Patton. And I'm Monim Salam. We're recording on Zoom again, but... Uh, uh, maybe not so long, though. Yeah, yeah. Looking like, you know, vaccines are coming through and... <laughs> yeah, we'll hopefully be able to uh, talk in person again soon. We have another wonderful guest for this episode. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, you know, uh, I've, I've known him for, for a long time, you know, to be honest with you, ever since I was a uh, sophomore in college. And so um, it's really nice to be able to to do a, another type of a, a meeting with him where I'm not just, you know, like, you know, just learning from him, but really talking to him about what, what he's been able to do in his life. Yeah. Dr. Yakub Mirza is with us today, entrepreneur, business leader, author, and kind of a pioneer in Islamic investing in the United States. So uh, what we're going to do, uh, Chris, is we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the history of the Amanda Mutual Funds, the early days of, you know, uh, both him and Nick Kaiser uh, um, starting up uh, the, the funds. And then uh, another exciting part of it will be about his book that he came out with. Yeah, Five Pillars of Prosperity. I have read the book and I have had the pleasure of speaking with him before and I'm excited to do it again. Let's do it. So we're really happy today to have Dr. Mirza uh, on the podcast with us. Um, just on a personal level, uh, you know, I really have a lot of respect for him. I've actually, ever, ever since I was in college and graduating and wanted to get into this field of, of in, investing in general, but specifically some investing, was the first person I called to ask him for that advice was Dr. Mirza. So I don't know if you, rem- you remember that or not, Dr. Mirza, but that was, uh, I remember that conversation very well. So, so thank you for, for doing you, all, all that you, you do. Um, so I wanted to start off, um, you know, and, and, and really talk a little bit about um, the evolution and history of the, of the Amana funds and really get into kind of the impetus for it, uh, the initial discussions and, um, and talking a little bit about, you know, where the guidelines were, were, were set up and those type of things. So, so can, let's just start off and maybe I'll just ask you a question. And that is, you know, what was the kind of the, uh, um, the spark that made you think about uh, launching the funds back in 1984, or maybe it was prior to that even, maybe? Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, when um, basically, when I came here in 1970 as a student, uh, we did not have any uh, good place to invest, which is Sharia compliant or Islamically acceptable. And some of the people I knew, they were investing in utility stocks, but uh, they were just picking you know, one utility versus the other, uh, but there was no mutual fund which was available. So decided to form an investment club, which have a national association in Michigan. And that uh, investment group kind of worked uh, pretty, pretty nicely. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money, but it, you know, it sort of gave me the idea that pooled investment is the way to go. Uh, we came back to the United States in 1981, and then we had a similar group in uh, Plainfield, Indiana. And then a thought occurred to me that if this can work at a local community level, why don't we consider something which can be uh, available to Muslims uh, throughout uh, U.S.? And so I started thinking about it. Um, we went to one or two law firms in Indianapolis. Uh, they gave me $50,000 as an estimate. That was a lot of money for me in 1983. And uh, so one of the uh, attorneys uh, mentioned to me that, do you know Nick Kaiser? I told him no. And uh, he said, well, I think you should uh, go and talk to him. Uh, he might have some ideas. So I said, okay. So I called on uh, uh, Nick. I was uh, young, uh, Yakub uh, at that time. I went to see him and we talked. And after he listened to me, uh, basically he said, well, right now I manage uh, five uh, funds. 
and I'm willing to take on a sixth one. So um, he was very kind, very gracious. Uh, he had uh, one of his uh, in-house attorney uh, to work with me, whereas they did all the SEC work where we helped them to uh, supply or give them the Islamic requirements. I was working at North American Islamic Trust at that time. And so I reported that to the board uh, that this conversation is, uh, is happening. And then Nick came over in one of the board meetings and met with the, with the trustees. Uh, and thereafter, we just uh, worked and filed with the SEC. So we did that and we uh, started with Amana Income uh, Fund. Uh, Nick was very smart. He set it up as a series of funds, a trust with a series of funds, which can be added later. So we started with the income fund, and then later we added the uh, the uh, growth fund. So um, just out of curiosity, um, you mentioned about um, talking about the Islamic guidance. When you had your investment club, were you already kind of uh, operating on and kind of uh, working on perfecting those Islamic guidelines, or or was that something you only did? once you started discussions with, 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 with uh, starting up the MANA funds? We were using those Islamic uh, guidelines. And of course, over time, with the help of Saturna, they have been further refined. Uh, but we were using it. The basic screens, uh, which, you, which you also use now, uh, we were using, we will not invest in uh, liquor, casinos, banks, uh, any, any company dealing with a you know, large amount of debt. So these were the very first screens which we used. Uh, we did not have the financial screens uh, at that time or had the ability to actually screen out uh, stocks. Um, so, so that's the way we started. And those screens were sort of handed over to, uh, to Saturna, uh, well, at that time, a unified management. Uh, and they started with those screens which have been improved on over a period of time. Thank you. And then also, um, the, you said that the SEC was, was giving you a little bit of, uh, of an issue, but it wasn't really regarding the screens. It was more about what you did with the cash, right? Well, before that, I think uh, uh, some of the questions which they asked, you know, this was the first uh, Islamic fund, and they had not seen anything like that before. So it was something new. And they were just not sure, you know, how, how it's going to work. So they had uh, different questions we answered. But one of the last questions was related to cash and, um, you know, which was obvious because they felt that rate of return may be less than the uh, other mutual funds. Uh, therefore, we need to make, make a disclosure. And was it only a matter of disclosure or did you come up with another, another solution for, for the cash? Uh, at that time, it was basically disclosure. But over time, you know, we had different solutions. But at that time, it was a matter of disclosure. Uh, as you know, you basically need to uh, not be very creative, but respond to their concerns and say, well, do you want a disclosure? Here it is. And uh, this was, uh, uh, so I met Nick in the beginning of 1984, uh, while I was visiting with different law firms and whatnot. And then we moved to, uh, on May 1st uh, to Virginia, and I continued working with, uh, with Nick. Um, and, you know, doing the, all the filings and whatever was required. That's great. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, urban legends that are out there. And one of the ones that I've heard um, is that, uh, you know, at that time, I think it was, there was a requirement for the Wall Street Journal to list you. You had to have a certain amount of uh, shareholders. Can, it, uh, do you know this story? Have you ever heard uh, uh, the, this? this ur- I don't know if it's urban yeah. legend or if it's true or not. Can you talk a little bit about that? That was really interesting yeah. to me when I, when I heard about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure for the story. But I know that we need to have 1,000 investors 
or there was a size also matters for Wall Street to list us. So for some time, we you know couldn't get a quoted value or be listed in Wall Street or any other major uh, newspaper, the business section of the newspaper. And until we reached that uh, threshold, uh, we were not able to you know uh, have that. And we had to call uh, Unified Management or Saturna uh, to get the uh, the fair market value of that that day. Uh, but over time, we reached that, we passed that threshold, and thank God we were able to get the quotation listed. So the story that I heard, um, uh, and this is from a shareholder, I was uh, uh, maybe about a decade ago, maybe a little longer, um, you know, as I was going through some of those accounts and, 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 and talking to some older, older shareholders and stuff, I noticed that their cash balances were very small. So when I looked into it, all of them had started off with an investment of $25. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. So when I, I just happened to know one of them who was, who was an uncle. And, and so what he told me was, is that um, there was a significant amount of time that was spent calling um, a lot of your friends and family and other people in the Muslim community to say, can you please put in $25 so we can get to a thousand shareholders so then we can start getting listed in the Wall Street Journal. So that's, that's the story. I heard. I, I didn't know if that was true or not, but but it was really interesting. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah to some extent. But as you know, two hundred fifty dollars was the minimum uh, to open an account, and twenty five dollars uh, remind me a different story. Uh, in my office at that time, we had uh, thirty employees, and uh, in one of the staff meetings, I told them, "Please uh, open your uh, uh, retire retirement account." I believe it was for twenty five dollars. And you know, just uh, and we will give you the money. So actually, our office gave that money to the employees and told them to fill in the application and open your accounts. And sure enough, all of them, all of them uh, did that. I had forgotten the story, but about three years ago, when I was in Bellingham, uh, Nick um, mentioned that to the crowd uh, that there was a time when Jakub did that. Then I said, I remember. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. So, yes, you mentioned that this was a new—it's a new thing at the time. So, how do you how do you get the word out? How do you let people know that this is an option now? Yeah, I think uh, you know I was very much involved with the Muslim Student Association, which then um, sort of transformed into Islamic Society of North America uh, in 1981-82. So, being active, I was participating in many of the seminars, uh, conferences. Um, and Islam, Islamic Society North America also have a magazine, Islamic Horizon, uh, which reaches out to all the members. Uh, that used to be a very popular magazine, even, even now it is quite popular. And we used to get our news uh, through that uh, magazine because, you know, the internet was not there, there was no Facebook. And uh, therefore, you know, we kind of look forward to getting this monthly magazine to see what is happening among the Muslim community. Uh, so that was. Uh, pretty much the, uh, the way of telling people that this option is available. And then um, uh, we wrote an article in Islamic Horizon very early uh, that was written basically to say that here is an alternative uh, available to us. And maybe that explains, Chris, uh, to the extent that the rate of growth in the early part of Amana was not that great as compared to uh, you know, in the last five, six years. Mm. Well, when you're talking about but maybe moving forward a little bit, how does it feel to see people embracing the fund now after working so hard to get the word out and build this or in the early days? No, it's, it's great. Uh, I'm, you know, very, very happy. 
and thankful to to all of you and to God. Um, I take great pride. Uh, you know, I mentioned it in Malaysia when I was introducing uh, Anwar Ibrahim that uh, Saturna is one of my favorite company uh, because you know it it sort of embodies a lot of values which I I hold dearly. Uh, it's basically tight ship, control your expenses, don't speculate, don't borrow money, and uh, you know uh, treat people like a family. I know Nick likes to call you Sterna crew, call Marjek team about people. So, so I think, you know, really Sterna is one of the, my favorite uh, company. And of course, the personal relationship, which I have with all of you, you know, adds, adds to it. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned uh, um, a little bit about this uh, uh, regarding Marjek. And so, um, you know, uh, in your, I mean, this is the, the amount of funds and something that you created uh, for the funds was more, of a community uh, or social entrepreneurship for you. Um, but your real kind of work that you do is actually in private equity, all right? Uh, and that's, that's, where, where, that's where Marja comes from? Yeah, that is, that is very true, but it has a social entrepreneurship angle to it because most of the profit uh, we make uh, are, are used uh, for charitable purposes. Um, so as you know, recently we created Center for Islam in the contemporary world at Shenandoah University. So three families who are investors in Marjek Poultry, Alabama, Mississippi, have volunteered to fund uh, the center. And so, so much of the profit which we make, sure it is for profit, we do like money. But at the same time, we are committed to uh, social entrepreneurship and you know, doing charitable activities which are helpful uh, to the community and for the betterment of the community. Uh, like Amana, what the University Islamic Finance has done is also helping the community. It's basically a service uh, which we you know, provide to the community because I, the way I see it, to help our community members to do things right uh, is, is a mission itself. And I take pride in saying that you are offering a service where people can invest Islamically and feel happy that they have done it the right way, providing an alternative and having people to do in the proper way is, is a bit of a mission itself. Now, while Marjack is only for profit, I, I, I admit that, but even then we, we are providing halal chicken. And I know uh, many people don't care who, who buys from us. 85% of our, our chicken is sold to general audience, about 15% is sold as halal. Uh, but it is the right way to do it. It is more pure. It is more acceptable to USDA, uh, the way we, we process it. And therefore, we do it because we feel that whatever we do, we should do it right and we should do it uh, according to our beliefs. So the 85% are actually getting halal chicken and they don't even know it's halal. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's really good. South in, in Mississippi. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's, it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to do where you can you know, you can weave uh, the, the Islamic values into your business, your life, and, and people just think it's just the right thing to do. And, and they, they, they don't really know or might not even care about whether it's Islamic or not. So that's, I mean, it's a really, it's an amazing thing um, to be able to do that. But also one of the things that you've um, also done in, amongst all of the different, uh, you know, different charitable uh, ventures and those type of things is you've actually also written a book um, and uh, wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the kind of the, again, the, the, the starting from that, what, what gave you the idea. The, the book is called Five Pillars of Prosperity, 
Um, and uh, we're going to get into it a little bit more, but I wanted to kind of get an idea of why you thought it was important to have something like this and, 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 and what, what motivated you to do it. Yeah, thank you so much, William. Uh, it's interesting you ask this question. Um, you know, I, as you know, I used to give seminars and uh, speak at different uh, conferences, convention, um, and talking about investing and so on and so forth. And then I got more into more interested into you know a little bit of financial planning um, and a little bit of estate planning. So I learned uh, quite a bit of that, which also led me to learn more about inheritance. So I, I started learning about uh, distribution of uh, inheritance, wills and trust, and you know so on and so forth. Then um, uh, at IIIT, we started the Fairfax Institute, which was basically a teaching arm of uh, IIIT. And uh, we um, sort of offered uh, different courses. One of the courses was on entrepreneurship uh, in Islam, uh, faith-based investing, uh, faith-based financial management, and things of that sort. So I uh, then developed and put together some material uh, for these uh, courses. These courses were like, uh, I believe five sessions over, you know, over two months uh, period. This is yeah. an international uh, institute of Islamic thought, correct? And that's the right. International institute of Islamic thought. Yeah. And are those uh, courses still available the TFI. now? Uh, I'm not sure if they're available okay. at this point. Okay. But they were repeated and they were, you know, uh, available. Uh, this is like, uh, you know, eight nine years ago. One of the sessions. Uh, you know, uh, Salma Vizadeli, and I mentioned that in the book, uh, she said, uh, or she sent me an email, she said, I really benefited from your course, but why don't you, you know, write uh, a book? And I kind of, you know, said to myself, gosh, uh, I never thought of writing a book. It's going to take a lot of time, a lot of energy, and do I have the time to, uh, time to, to do this? And then finally, I decided to uh, put some of this material together I wasn't uh, very sure whether this is worth publishing or not. And uh, then I approached uh, three people. One was uh, Professor John Esposito. He is the uh, you know, uh, Islamic uh, scholar in Georgetown University. And I thought, you know, he, he's a big known scholar. Let's see what his view is. So he uh, read it and he said, I give a copy to my wife. She is a CFO in one of the Fortune 500 company that she loved it. And uh, he, he was, he said, yeah, this is very good material. So then I asked him, will he be write, willing to write a blurb? He said, yes, he'll be willing to write a blurb. And which he did, which is on the cover. The second person was Governor John Sununu, who was the chief of staff of President Bush, the father. And uh, he's a good friend. He and I will serve on a board together. And so I give it to him. So he said, Yakub, it's going to take me some time, but I'll be very happy to read it. So he took the uh, manuscript um, on one of his flights overseas, and he came back and he called me, said, Yaku, I'm going to be in D.C. on Wednesday. Can you come and see me? I said, sure. So I went and saw him at lunch with him. And uh, so he went through uh, page by page, and he said, his remarks were, uh, tell this to the administration. Tell this to Congress. Uh, tell this to this department. Uh, so I was very fascinated, <laughs> and I still have those handwritten box, uh, you know, uh, that, that folder uh, with me. Uh, third person was uh, uh, Gary Moore. He, is, he runs a financial seminary. Uh, he was on Wall Street. Uh, he is a, a pastor, a Southern Baptist pastor, 
but he believed in ethics and business very, very much. So I read one of his book, uh, Finances 101, and in which he you know, talks about some of these ethics, and he actually says that Jews, Christians, and Muslims have a lot in common when it comes to investing and so on and so forth. So I um, said, you know, it won't hurt. Let me just ask him uh, if he would be willing to, uh, to read it. Uh, I sent him a copy, and he wrote back. He was very excited. He said, we don't have anything like this, and maybe my Christian uh, brothers would write something like that. This is wonderful, and it's uh, great. So after I got these three uh, people encouraging me, I kind of felt that uh, I have to get serious and need to devote some time and you know, try to you know, uh, write it, put it together. And then we sent it to White Cloud Press. Uh, they, the first press I approached, they published it publishing house, they accepted it. And they said, we'll be happy to, uh, to publish it. So that's pretty much the, uh, the story uh, of uh, how it started and how it ended. So something I really like about the book is that it's full of really tangible examples, tables and worksheets and things like that. Um, was it important to you to try to make it real for the readers and kind of empower them to be able to directly apply what you're talking about to their lives? Yeah, definitely, Chris. Uh, you know, I, I felt that I can talk about my life, where I grew, what I did, and all that. But uh, people are not going to, you know, uh, duplicate that because that's my life. And, but where I can help uh, people will be to actually uh, give them some examples. Uh, you know, how I saved uh, $200 a month when I was in a graduate school, uh, how I tried to, you know, minimize expenses and uh, you know, share with them practical uh, examples. And especially uh, my focus was the young couples and uh, young adults, uh, because if they adopt some of those habits of uh, saving money, uh, then the rest of their life, they will have a wonderful time. And as uh, I'm sure you noticed, uh, I emphasize delay gratification and save for the future. And that uh, to me is very important because you know, you can spend all what you have, you can kick up your heels, uh, you can, you know, enjoy uh, what God has given us. Uh, but then for later years, uh, for education, children's education, their marriages, uh, all that you won't have much even to retire on. So the focus was to save, delay the gratification and enjoy the bounties uh, later uh, when you really have time and, you know, you can afford to enjoy them. Mm. Yeah, one of the things that, uh, that was really good was uh, I mean, if you look at the five uh, pillars that you have, uh, earning, saving, investing, spending, and giving, <clears throat> it kind of goes through the life cycle of a, of, of a person. Um, you know, not, maybe not uh, in, 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 a, in a timeline order, but definitely on a circular basis. Uh, you know, you're giving throughout your life, but then you're really giving a lot when you, when you pass away, um, you're earning throughout your life as well, you know, those type of things. So I, I really found that to be uh, um, something that was, I think it, it, it applies to everybody. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They kind of go in a circle because you cannot do one without the other because you cannot save if you don't earn. And if you don't earn, then you can't give out. So, so really, but let me share with you a very interesting story. Uh, when I put it all together, I had four pillars and I kept saying, you know, if I can think of one more, um, then it will rhyme with five pillars of Islam. And there are lots of five pillars if you Google five pillars, you'll find 
five pillars of hip hop and you know all kinds of <laughs> uh, kinds of things. Uh, so we were uh, uh, performing Umrah. I was at Makkah, and after the afternoon prayer, Asr prayer, I was walking back from uh, Kaaba to the hotel, and it just dawned on me: why not? first pillar should be uh, earnings and the That's reason true. i did not did really i did not think of it is because we often don't talk about money uh, most of our mosques or churches or synagogue they never talk about money i know one of islam you do but other people they don't the imams just shy away from money they think money is dirty i don't know where we get that impression uh, as uh, suzy orman had said you know maybe it is from our childhood when um, a baby is crawling or a kid is crawling and you take a, a dime or a quarter and what do we do is the, the child puts it in the, in the mouth and the mama screams, you know, don't do that, don't do that. But we get the impression that money is dirty. So we take it out, we throw it away. <laughs> uh, so somehow that, that thing is, you know, going around, everybody thinks that money is dirty. And then as you know, many of the people who tend to be do uh, who feel they're more religious, uh, they don't want to talk about money. They think money is just not something that should be acquired and we should desire for it or pray for it or acquire it. And it becomes a taboo. Nobody ever wants to, you know, just uh, just talk about it. I was going to say that it's interesting that you, 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 the last one that you had was earning because that's the one that, that I felt you kind of delve into pretty detail with the eight qualities that you that you, know, that you mentioned as well. Um, and I'll just quickly go right. over those, but then maybe you can talk about uh, you know, how you came up with these ideas, the uh, gratitude, strong worth ethic, focus, persistence, passion, integrity, high standard, and service. So, I mean, you kind of break down each of these things, which, which to me, out of all of these things, kind of makes that kind of the crux of of, of your, of, you know, basically the foundation of the five pillars. It's, 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 a, it's the one that keep, keeps the, all, the other, all the other ones, uh, um, you know, standing as well. Yeah, you're right. So once I decided that I need to write something on earnings, uh, then I looked at all the businesses we had or we have. Some of these, uh, you know, the qualities which you read, this is what uh, we practice in most of our businesses. And um, uh, they have produced results. Uh, so I think really those are uh, those are the things uh, which we practice in the business, and then I try to you know sum them up uh, as qualities which we should have when we run 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 a business. Um, just you, so you know, kind of looking yeah. at all five of them, um, and maybe I'll, I'll give you three different scenarios, and you can help me figure out. So if in different stages of your life, and uh, maybe you need to focus on one out of the five, or maybe not. I'll I'll let you decide. But you know, what if you know, I'm, let's say give three different scenarios, right? So now I'm, I'm just graduating from, from college. You know, what should I be focusing on out of the five? Or maybe you say, no, you should focus on all five of them at the same time. So, um, so right, first one would be just graduating from college. The second one would be now I'm, I'm in my middle years, right? I have kids that are just about to get into college now. Um, and I've done whatever the book book, book had told me. And the last one is sure. now I'm beginning to um, I'm maybe on my on my sunset part of my life, which is I've retired. I'm 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 giving back to the community now. So why don't you talk a little bit about? Do you give different advice to different stages of people's life, or is it all the same? Yeah, on the on the as fresh graduate, get yourself settled, get yourself established, and focus on saving whatever little you get. Try to save some percentage of it, 
and then you know give out. And as you you know move on in your life, you will have more money than you can focus on investing, plant spending, and others. Yeah, thank you. And then what about um toward toward the middle and the end? You're basically saying the same thing would be just kind of maybe focus less on the on the earnings part of it, but then more on the on the giving. Uh, yes, you you can. And the earning part, you're pretty much established in your career. You already have a title. You are comfortable, and you are you know you are you are happy, and you have pretty defined uh, earning uh, stream. Uh, but then you need to start thinking about uh, children education. Uh, so you will go into ESA education uh, saving uh, uh, accounts. Uh, start thinking about you know children education, then children. Um, uh, marriages and uh, your own retirement, you need to start thinking about, uh, you know, Hajj and then, you know, of course, uh, of course, uh, giving. So these, so those are, you know, some of the things. So the priority might shift, but saving part will still have to be, you know, pretty much, uh, pretty much with you. So I think savings, being modest, being humble about how we live. Then as we progress in our age, uh, my uh, kind of feeling is that once you pass 60, we should be more thinking about contributing to the endowments. We should be thinking about uh, hereafter. We should be thinking about, you know, a perpetual charity, Sadhaka Jariya, uh, what we're going to, you know, take uh, with us. And by that age, you know, your kids are grown. They have education. Uh, they have jobs. And uh, you don't have to, you know, give them, uh, give them much. And then, you know, uh, start contributing to the endowment. So as I said in, said in my book, the older people, 60 plus, they should contribute to the endowments. But the younger people, they should contribute to run Islamic schools and uh, the Islamic centers because they are now the main recipient of all the services. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, you and you're a great example uh, for people to follow is that even throughout your um, life as you're as you're getting older and, and and as you mentioned earning more and getting your titles there's always ways to be able to give back even if it comes to sadaqajariya i mean you know yes the amount of funds is, is you know that that i would consider sadaqajariya the, the you know well into you know let's say 100 years from now when it's still there you're still going to be getting reward for it and a lot of the things you do, your your donor advice fund all of those things that you've done i think you have a very uh, large mountain of of good deeds for your sadaqajariya i think uh, you know that's going to continue on. So it's really, it's really, it's really a blessing. So, so thank you for doing all you do. Well, you're most welcome. Thank you so much. Just pray. And I hope that God will accept uh, these. Ourselves, as a, as a Mirza family, uh, we have started the private foundation. We are training our, our children. Uh, they are now the board members of the Mirza Family Foundation. And we want to create a legacy and we are training them uh, to follow uh, so to speak, our first steps and do better and hopefully continue these projects. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, for that. Uh, Chris, do you have anything else? Yeah, we're winding down here, but I, mean, I know there's a very technical answer to this question, but in terms of a feeling and in terms of an, a worldview and an outlook, what does it mean to you to invest Islamically? You know, it is uh, bas basically it comes from your you know, upbringing and you want to, you know, do things in the right way. Um, you know, if you have time, I can share with you. Uh, after getting master's degree, I was uh, teaching in Karachi University. And then my brother graduated from 
uh, University of Alaska, getting his PhD, came back and he encouraged me that I should, you know, come to the United States and get my PhD in, in, in physics. So I um, had the choice of coming through Tokyo in the uh, Pacific route or going through the Atlantic uh, route. But I preferred that I take the Atlantic route. Why? Because I wanted to go to Saudi Arabia uh, to perform Umrah. And, um, you know, people are saying, why don't you go to Tokyo and you can attend the Expo 70. Uh, it's a big expo. Uh, imagine a young man, 23 years old, how tempting that could be that let's go to Japan. Everybody talks about it. And uh, let's go and visit. Uh, versus, I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to go perform uh, Umrah. And uh, so I you know, went to, uh, to Jeddah and then on to Medina, performed Umrah, and then I came to the United States. So there is uh, this, uh, this desire which comes from upbringing that you want to do the things the right way. And that then encompasses all aspects of your life, whether it is uh, behavior, your family, friends, uh, your attitude, uh, your way of doing things. Um, you know, it, it sort of is a moral code. It, it guides your way of living. If you try to do things right, following uh, the principle which God has laid down, uh, then there is a blessing in what you do. Please consider an investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. To obtain this and other important information about the Amana Funds in a current prospectus or summary prospectus, please visit amanafunds.com or call toll-free 1-800-728-8762. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. Investing involves risk, including the risk that you could lose money. The Amana Funds restrict investments to those companies consistent with Islamic and sustainable principles, which limits opportunities and may affect performance. The values of the shares in each of the funds rises and falls as the value of the securities in which the funds invest go up and down. Each of the funds may invest in securities that are not traded in the United States. Investments in the securities of foreign issuers may involve risks in addition to those normally associated with investments in the securities of U.S. issuers. These risks include currency and market fluctuations, and political or social instability. The risks of foreign investing are generally magnified in the smaller and more volatile securities markets of the developing world. The smaller and less seasoned companies that may be in the growth fund have a greater risk of price volatility. This material is for general information only and is not a research report or commentary on any investment products offered by Saturna Capital. This material should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security in any jurisdiction where such an offer or solicitation would be illegal. We do not provide tax accounting or legal advice to our clients and all investors are advised to consult with their tax accounting or legal advisors regarding any potential investment. Investors should not assume that investments in the securities and or sectors described were or will be profitable. This podcast is prepared based on information Saturna Capital deems reliable. However, Saturna Capital does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information. Investors should consult with a financial advisor prior to making an investment decision. The views and information discussed in this commentary are at a specific point in time, are subject to change, and may not reflect the views of the firm as a whole. All material presented in this publication, unless specifically indicated otherwise, is under copyright to Saturna. No part of this publication may be altered in any way copied or distributed without the prior express written permission of Saturna Capital.